What's up, y'all? Have you ever been bullied? Have you ever bullied others? Have you felt like an outsider for most of your life? Have you lived as an actual outsider? Something I've experienced throughout most of my life is feeling like an outsider, particularly at times when I was young and I was disconnected from myself. Today, I'm talking with Marina Krivonosova, who's a B2B marketing agency owner and entrepreneur. She is a Russian-American citizen, so she immigrated from Russia when she was a child. She's lived over various parts of the U.S., and she currently lives in the Netherlands. She has a very interesting story about her journey of self-acceptance, how to find her way in the world, and the joy that can come from living a more authentic and truthful life. She also talks about her struggles of trying to fit in, trying to, to mold herself to be what others expected, and the pain that that caused her. There's a lot more that her and I discuss in this week's episode of Order Within, so let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Order Within, navigating a world of endless chaos and crisis. Many of us are experiencing inner turmoil, insecurity, anxiety, fears, and isolation. These feelings are only being amplified by news cycles, social media, and never-ending political madness. How do we find our way out of the chaos? How do we find strength within ourselves? How do we find meaning in a world driven by materialism? These questions and many more I aim to answer on the show. My goal is to be a trusted guide on your journey to selfhood. May you find what you seek. All right, Marina. If you could say your name for me, what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Marina Krivonosova. I am currently the owner of a B2B content marketing agency that I launched in November 2023. I'm Russian-American, but I'm living in the Netherlands. I love cats, but I'm deathly allergic to them. And if I'm not working, you can usually find me traveling, hiking, or just hanging out with friends. Very cool. Thank you for that. Marina, when we had our first conversation together, there were a few things that really stood out to me for you and your background. But I think one of the big things was you went to, you did not go to school for what you're working in now. Right now you're, no. you're a B2B marketing consultant. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what did you study in school? So I started off with business economics for my bachelor's. And then when I had, I think, two or three classes left, I switched my major to international relations um, completely out of nowhere to most. It made sense to me, though. And then I got a master's in political science with a focus in international organization. I wrote my thesis on anti-human trafficking efforts in the EU. And yeah, now I'm a B2B content marketer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's quite the pivot. I love that. What was, what was it that drew you to making that switch from between your bachelor's to your master's? So I would say it was more from my bachelor's to the end of my bachelor's because there was one thing that actually made me switch majors, which a lot of people might say was, you know, a very rash choice, but I disagree with that because I took one class on international relations just because I enjoyed the topic and I was like, you know what, I can, so why not? And we had a guest lecture visit. She was talking to us about human trafficking. And I went to school in Southern California in Orange County, which if you know about that, it's a really nice place to live. I was in Irvine, rated one of the safest cities in the country. So when I thought of living in Orange County, it was just sunshine and rainbows and safe and you can go out at night and you'll be fine. 
But I found out from this lecture that Orange County was one of the biggest hubs or still is one of the biggest hubs for human trafficking in the U.S. And that really just blew my mind. I was like, we're led to believe that this place is so safe and perfect and ideal. But really, there's just human trafficking happening in our very own backyard. And that just kind of flipped a switch in me that I was like, okay, people don't know about this. People don't talk about this. People don't do anything about this. And I want to change that. And the way I wanted to help with that is to work in anti-human trafficking when the time came. So that's when I switched my major and why I decided to study what I studied in my master's program as well. Mm. It's That's probably a hard field to break into or do meaningful work, though, I would imagine, unless you're starting a nonprofit or working for the government effectively. Exactly. And that was one of the things when I wrote my thesis, I was talking to people who worked for the government. And one thing that I learned, which was really disheartening, was that they didn't really care too much about human trafficking in the sense that it's an issue where it takes a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort to make a difference. And when you look at it from a political perspective, it's not an issue that really brings about a lot of money. And it's not something that actually helps politicians advance in their career. They're kind of like, eh, human trafficking, yeah, but it doesn't really affect me. It won't really help me if I fight it. So resources are diverted to other causes, which is incredibly disheartening to learn, especially for me, somebody who thought that if I get into politics, I can make a difference. And then I learned that and I was like, OK, how can I actually make a difference then? How can anyone actually make a difference? Mm -hmm. So that was in a lot of ways, the real world slapping you around a bit, huh? It's interesting how when we're growing up, we have our ideals and the things that we want to do and we want to make an impact in the world. And then we run into reality and we often learn how quickly our ideals don't align with the way the world operates. Yeah. What was that like for you? I mean, was that a, cause you've obviously made a pivot out of that and you're, you're focusing on different path through your career now, which seems to be going well. You seem to be enjoying that work too, just based on the, uh, what I'm seeing on LinkedIn and, and the work that you're doing. But what was that period of your life like? I wouldn't actually say that's what triggered me to pivot. I would say that, yeah, it was like a slap in the face. It pushed me back a little and made me mm. think, okay, how can I go about this? But when I moved to the Netherlands, I was still very much interested to pursue that line of work. I was looking at government organizations. I was looking at NGOs where I could help do something. But there was two big issues. I did not speak Dutch, at least not at the necessary level to work in a field like that. Learning Dutch is one thing. Learning business Dutch is a whole different kind of ballpark, right? So there was that. And I didn't have an EU passport, which really narrowed down my choices from 100% to maybe like 15%. And the ones that were less were you'd end up extremely overworked. You'd end up extremely underpaid. You still might not even get the job. I remember interviewing for one position where they told me, hey, realistically, we advertise it as 40 hours a week. It'll be more like 60. And I was like, OK, what's the pay like? At that point, I was still optimistic and more full of energy than I am now. <laughs> so I was like, OK, what's the pay like? And they're like, yeah, it's probably like around minimum wage. And I was like, oh, so I'd be putting my life on the line. I'd be working crazy hard. I'd be losing my physical and mental health. I don't know if I'd make much of a difference and I'd be being I'd be making as much or less than the person at McDonald's across the street. And that's when I really was like, OK, it's time to explore other opportunities and see what else I can do. And maybe I can support human trafficking or anti-human trafficking organizations in a different way, maybe through donations or volunteer work or doing marketing to help support them. But 
it wasn't going to be my full-time gig. It lost, at least not like this, at least not now. I see. So was then I'm curious. So you, you had a realization that if you wanted to make the certain, if you wanted to have a, a, a successfully financial career, you'd have to pivot into something else and you'd have to find a way to support that in different ways. Like if you exactly. wanted to. Yeah. Exactly. And my goal was never to become completely like the richest person on earth, but hearing that I'd be overworked and underpaid, <laughs> I, I was just like, nah, I don't think this is it. I don't think this is how I envisioned this. Yeah, that's not, it's not an ideal, especially at the early stages of your career. I mean, you're, you're getting out of university. I imagine like most college students coming out of school, you probably have some student debt that you had to take care of or have to take care of. Maybe not. Maybe you're one of the fortunate ones who didn't, but, but still it's, it's a lot of, that matters a lot when we're early on in our career, doesn't it? Yeah. When you don't have savings for previous jobs, it's, yeah, it's completely different than it is like a decade or two later down the line. Exactly. If you were starting a new career and, and you already had financially set up, had set yourself up, that makes sense, which is a lot of why this work is so mission oriented. Obviously the, you're not in it for the money, but it does make it difficult if you can't have a livable wage, especially if you're going to be working a ton. So then you're realizing that the prospects of having this career isn't what you thought. I imagine that would be challenging and difficult for a young college graduate. You're in a different country because you're in the Netherlands at this point, right? Yep. Do you have friends or family or anyone in the Netherlands? No. Wow. Okay. So you're out in the world in a new country on your own, trying to define your way in a new career. What what do you do now? You're stuck. I assume you're probably feeling somewhat lost. Like, describe, help me to understand kind of your state at this point in your life. So at this point, I was actually dating my now husband. So I did have a support system, but it was a support system. Thank you. That kind of came about later, right? Like I didn't move to the Netherlands because I was dating someone who lived there. He came about later. So when I moved there, it was really kind of me against the world. And at this point, when I was there, you know, I was seeing him. I was kind of like, okay, I still had this dream of living in Europe and I'm seeing someone here and I really like him and I want to be with him. And I still want to make that dream happen. I don't want to just throw in the rag and go home. So I started thinking about other ways that I could finance that dream. And when I looked at the career opportunities, I realized, I'd never thought about this before, but I realized that I'd been working in marketing for years without even being aware of it. Mm. And there's a background story to that. So I'm from a very STEM-oriented family. We moved to the U.S. when I was really little. We came from Russia. Both of my parents have master's degrees in mathematics and computer science. And I grew up believing that that was the only only possible career path, anything to do with STEM. Mm. So I was always a very kind of humanities-oriented kid. I was always writing crazy stories. (laughs) I really liked reading. That was kind of my jam. Numbers were fine. I was fine with them. But I never saw myself becoming like my parents. They didn't love that. So when I was doing creative work, they were like, yeah, this is something for now. This is something you can do on the side. And I remember playing around with the idea of writing a book when I was little. And my dad said, well, you could do that alongside your main job, right? Like you, you won't be an author full time, right? Like, don't be crazy. And so I was like, okay, so if I want to be an author, it'll have to be alongside my main job, as he would call it. <laughs> so that's how I always saw work in the creative fields. So there were years when I was picking up gigs in social media management, content creation. I was writing blog posts. I was designing websites. I was managing websites. I was doing so much related to marketing for real companies, real founders, real individuals. 
but I just saw it as something for now, mm -hmm. just because I didn't grow up believing that, that was a real job that I could actually do full time. When I got to this kind of crossroads in my career, in my professional, personal life, I was like, what can I actually do that doesn't relate to this thing that I've studied for a long time that I've invested so much time and energy into? And marketing was the next logical step. I, I looked back at my resume and I was like, I have a solid, I don't know, four years of marketing experience at <laughs> least that I, again, I just took for granted. I didn't even realize that it was real experience that I could ever use. So when I had that experience and I started applying for jobs in marketing, people took note of it. They, um, they were very happy to see it and they were like, okay, let's try this out. Let's see what happens. And before I knew it, I was a real marketer. Super rad. I love that because it demonstrates a few things. One, it demonstrates the power of self-reflection, how it is. Like, sometimes we have these skills, these talents, these abilities that are right under our nose. We've been doing them for many years and we don't even realize it. And that simply by pivoting our perspective around it, we can then offer that to the market and have a more fulfilling career, which it sounds like you did, which is awesome. It's also pointing to the challenges that we all have raised by parents that often have ideas of what we should be doing or what is the best path for us forward. Parents often mean well when they give us this advice and their perspectives, but without honoring the child as they are, it can be difficult because it sounds like that created a bit of a challenge for you as an adult and growing into your adulthood. How do you frame the desires that you have and your interests as a child and how you carried that on into adulthood to what your parents did and the way they view the world and their very STEM oriented mind. Like, I imagine you felt a lot of conflict around that. There was a lot of conflict and it was it was a whole lot of conflict because <laughs> my parents were always very supportive of me and they wanted the best for me. A lot of people will say, well, I cut off my parents because they just weren't supportive. I don't have that. I'm really close to my family. I love my family. I talk to my mom like every day. I visit them every chance I get. We have a great relationship but we just come from completely different worlds. My family moved to the U.S. in search of the American dream, and I believe they found it. I believe they found it how they imagined it. My dad, he worked 20 plus years in the same job when they moved to the U.S. He made a career out of it, and he always talked about it. He was like, you're going to end up in a big company. This is what your life is going to look like. This is like the way to do it. So startups, scale-ups, starting your own company, freelancing, none of it was an option. It was just you get a master's degree, you go into corporate, you retire, this is your life. The nine to five for someone else is your life. There is no other choice. So when I brought up like, hey, actually, I don't have to be a programmer. I don't actually have to work in a corporate job. They were like, what do you mean? There's other options. <laughs> and I think my mom was much more perceptive to it because she was just worried that I wouldn't make it if I, if I tried working for a startup, if I tried to be a marketer. But when she saw that I could actually do it, she was kind of like, okay, because she was just worried. Like she didn't want me to end up on the street or something. She didn't want me to end up without a job or completely just failing the way she saw it. So when she saw that I could make a career for myself and a life for myself doing something different, she felt relief, I would say. And it was the same for my dad, because I remember when I told them that I was switching majors, like way back when my mom was just like, okay, I trust you. You know what you're doing, I'm sure. And my dad was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Looking at that compared to what happened when I told them I'm starting my own business and I was scared how they'd react because I was scared about doing it. And my mom, I remember her being like, I told her over the phone and she was like, I think I'm going to cry. And I was like, oh, is it that bad? And she goes, no, I'm just so proud of you. And I was like, oh, 
that's like that we've come so far. And I told my dad and the first thing he said is, can I invest? So oh, I was wow. like, wow, we've come so far from where we were when I first said, I want to do something non-STEM to where we are now with launching my own agency. That That's great, Marina. And it's cool that your parents had the, well, it shows that they genuinely love you because even though they may have not, particularly for your father, he may have not envisioned that path for you. He obviously had found a way to success for himself. He wants you to succeed. That's why he's giving you that advice, obviously. But the fact that they came full circle and are now loving and accepting of what you're doing and have confidence in you, because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about, having confidence in our children, in themselves, to, to develop and use their skills in the world in a meaningful way. What more could you ask from your children? They're, they're living a good quality of life and they're making a difference in their own way. I mean, I think that's, that's a phenomenal way to go about raising kids. I am curious, did you, were you an only child? Did you have brothers and sisters? Like what, um, what was your family life like? I have a sister. Like? Nice. I have a younger sister and she's very much following in my parents' footsteps. <laughs> nice. I see. It's interesting how that yeah. happens too. There'll, there'll be one that's kind of the, the black sheep, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds <laughs> like that was your role. It. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you're married. How, how long have you mm -hmm. been married? Oh. Uh, that's a great question. Four years. Very nice. What has married life been like for you so far? Like living with my best friend, I would say. Very cool. It's I, I think the just as a younger, younger generations, it makes me sad. I once had these positions of not realizing the value and beauty of marriage. I come from a family that was divorced and there was a lot of yeah. challenges. So I assume that that's what all family and marriages were like. And that was the mistake that I made. But it is encouraging for me to see a lot of our generation, younger generations are seeing the value in marriage, understanding the value of marriage and having families and, and doing that. So it, it's, it's nice to hear that it's been good for you for those first four years. That's also a big accomplishment too. Like a lot of marriages end very fast now. <laughs> like wow. it's kind of, yeah. kind of wild. Are you all planning? Do you have any kids? Are you planning to have kids or is that not something you're, you're thinking about right now? No, I'm not thinking too much about it at the moment. Got it. Is your husband from the Netherlands? Yeah. Very cool. And is he a, what, what does he do for work? He's in tech. So he's, he's <laughs> like my family. <laughs> nice. I feel like everyone I hang out with, I, I realize like as I talk about it, my family's in the tech field. My husband's in there. All my closest friends. I think I know like one marketer who I'm close to. But other <laughs> than that, it's all tech. It's hardware. It's software. Like. Yeah, I don't know. I guess ultimately I do come back to my roots in that sense. <laughs> well, one of the things that stood out when we had our initial conversation is you always, you've always been an outsider. You're an outsider. You come from Russia. You immigrate here with your family. So you're an outsider in, in California. Then you move to the Netherlands and you're now a foreigner again in a different land. So you're an outsider there. Even in your family, in many ways, you're an outsider based on the way you view the world and your perspective. You're in... You're a creative, artistic person working in the marketing field in tech startups and B2B companies, which is very business technology driven. So how do you handle being the outsider kind of wherever you find yourself? So this, this is always funny to me because growing up, I very much did often feel like an outsider and not just on my family and my friend groups, but in, in school, like every school I went to, every class I was in, I felt very different, but I also felt like I hated standing out. 
I still remember like in middle school, there were some girls playing a game where it's like, would you rather, but it's in quiz form. So you pick A or B. And I would always, I would always wait for them to pick so that I could agree with the majority. And they caught wind of that. And they're like, oh, Marina just wants to be like everyone else. And I was like, yeah, because you all bully me if I'm different. Like, <laughs> duh. So that, that I never got that. I'm like, anyway, whatever. This is how I am. I don't want to stand out. I was really shy. I tried to be like everyone else. And I think I was around 17 and I switched schools. And I just decided for myself, I'm over this. I'm so sick and tired of trying to blend in and be like everyone else and forego my own wishes and opinions and thoughts. And for what? For some kind of validation that I may or may not get. And I mm. remember walking into that class first day and I was like, I'm just embracing how I want to be. I wore the clothes that I like. I wore my hair how I like it. I did my makeup how I want to. And I was like, if anyone doesn't like it, I don't care. And when they asked us, like, raise your hand, introduce yourself, I raised my hand. I was like, I'm not going to be shy. I'm going to go first and I'm going to set the norm or however you want to call it. I'm not going to wait for others to do that so I can agree with them and say, oh, that's also my favorite color. That's also my favorite place to vacation. Like, I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to be true to me. And that changed everything for me because I started attracting people who genuinely liked me, who didn't like me for who I was pretending to be, but who liked me for me. And I love that. I really was like, wow, why wasn't I doing this before? Like, I know why, but I was like, dang, I'm really missing out. And from then on out, I just changed. I really changed and I started embracing who I am. Even in settings where 90% of people are alike and I'm different, I decided to use that to my advantage instead of making, making it feel like I'm not good enough or something because I'm different, you know? Mm -hmm. that's, that's an amazing evolution of selfhood, Marina. And I, that's, to me, the ultimate goal in life is to live true to who we are. And that's where we find our most fulfillment. And it sounds like that's what you've discovered, too, is instead of fitting in. And the, the interesting thing about trying to fit in is you're, you never actually end up fitting in, trying to fit in. It's always never enough. You're, it's always the next thing that needs to be. And you, you, you picked up on that early. So what was it? What was it about that period that you just you said? I'm being myself. I'm letting it out there. What were things that helped you? I mean, how did you find the courage to do that? You said you were 17 when you when you made mm -hmm. this decision. That's pretty young yeah. to be like, I'm going to be who I am regardless of what anyone thinks. I think it was a matter of new environment, new chance for a new me. But this time the new me would actually be the real me and not the me I created for that specific environment. I mean, I switched schools a lot growing up. Not for any particular reason, like we would move or it just made sense based on what we were doing at the time. So I was always, I'd spend a year here, move, spend two years there, move. And I never, I never felt like I was ready to stand out because new environment meant oh, having to try to blend in with a new friend group or just trying to make it as easy as a process as I could for myself. And that meant trying to blend in. But I got to the point that, again, I was so fed up with it, like always pretending to be something I'm not. I would lie about stupid stuff like my favorite movie and, oh, have you heard this song? Yeah, I love that song. I don't know what they're talking about. So it was things like that, that I just got tired of keeping track of it. Like if I tell you my favorite color, if I tell you what I'm watching these days, I don't want to have to keep track of it. I want it to be authentic. I want it to come from me. And also the fact that I didn't feel like I related to any of the people I called my friends. So we would hang out and we'd spend time together, but it felt very superficial. And we're doing this because you like the personality I picked for you. You don't like me because of who I am. 
And I was just over that. And mm. it's funny because I still remember that year, 17 to 18, and all the people I met in that class. And I'm not in touch with most of them, but that was an amazing year for me. And I don't know if it was, you know, very different from the last few years in retrospect, but I think it was the first year where I was really connecting with people who I genuinely wanted to spend time with and who genuinely wanted to spend time with me. <laughs> when you leaned into who you were authentically, yeah. that, that's... That's amazing. Honestly, that's why I do this show. That's what it's about in general is, is having the courage to embrace who we are. And, and you shared a lot that comes from that. You find friends that you connect with. You find people that like you for who you are. And it's also way easier to just be honest as opposed to trying to keep up a facade because it is. Yeah. It's a lot of effort. It's exhausting. And I, I hope more and more people realize that because it's just it's a very rewarding and fulfilling process to go through that embrace who you are and just experience that deep love for yourself and share that with the world i i truly believe that's why all of us are in the world we have the opportunities to do that but we have to make the choice to do it and i think you demonstrated that marina in the sense that you were making a false choice to represent this pretend person whatever to fit in you were not happy there your friends weren't happy you didn't like your friends you didn't like yourself and then you pivot. And now what's interesting is, is that's obviously built momentum and trust with your friends, with your family. Your career is a, an indicator of that, even though your parents may have been freaked out initially. You being authentic to who you are, they know you're smart and intelligent and capable. You're applying yourself in the world in a meaningful way. That's a huge, I don't know, that, I think that's, in my mind, that is success, defining what it means to be who we are and then living true to that. Was there anything, like, were there things during that time that helped you? I mean, was there, if there's someone out there listening that may feel they're not living true to who they are or they're stuck in a situation where they can't be their honest selves, like, what would you share with them? I think it's important to remember that the people who make fun of you for being who you are, the people who try to invalidate your experiences or your identity are incredibly insecure with themselves. So why should their opinion matter so much to you? They can't accept themselves. Of course they can't accept you. They can't accept anyone. All they do is search for faults and reasons to belittle others because they're so insecure with themselves. You'll never find a happy, confident, secure, genuinely successful person who belittles or makes fun of others for embracing who they are. And I think once you realize that, it becomes so much easier to be yourself. Because I know that when I was unhappy with who I was, when I was like 10 years old, I bullied people. And I'll be honest about that. And the reason I bullied people is because I was being bullied all the time. And I felt so horrible about myself that kind of taking it out on others and making others, well, trying to make others feel worse than I felt, I thought it would make me feel better, but it never did. And I notice that trend still in the workplace, in school, anywhere you go, it's always the people who are going through something themselves who are trying to hurt others. Because now I can genuinely say that I'm happy with who I am. I'm confident in my identity. And I feel no need to critique anybody and how they're living their life. Like if blue's your favorite color, that's awesome. If you want to work, I don't know, you want to open a cow cuddling business, more power <laughs> to you. That's sick. Like, good for you. But I, I'm at a point where I think everyone should just live life how they want to because it makes them happy. And I'm not bothered one way or another. And I can really say it took me a lot to get to that point. 
And I think it's the same for anyone who's gotten to that point. So yeah, I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah, because it is a process, right? It's going to take time. You got to, especially if it's happened for many years, you got to undo the the old behaviors and the way you're treating yourself. It really is. It does come down to accepting who we are and learning to do that and loving and being kind to ourselves enables us to do that for other people. And And you're spot on with the insecurity component. If you have to go around and belittle other people or badger them, bully them, it's often driven by someone's own lack of acceptance of self and their own inner inner pain and suffering. Doesn't justify it, doesn't make it excusable no. or okay, but I think it helps to navigate the world that we live in because there's so much of that now, particularly with social media. The internet is incredible with things that it's done for us, but it also enables really terrible behaviors and a lot of bad things like that. So these things can help us navigate kind of the madness because the world can be, it can feel insane sometimes, like just with all the craziness that's happening and just the the lack of consistency. So that's very encouraging to me, Marina, to hear that. And I think there are a lot more people that resonate with that. That That's, I imagine that you being authentic in your work shows up in the clients that you attract and the companies that you're working with and, and how, I'm curious how that's impacted your career as you've gone deeper into being more accepting of yourself. I definitely feel like me being more accepting of myself ends up attracting similar people, not people who are like me necessarily, but people who are also at a point that they're like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I just want to stay true to me and live life on my own terms. And regardless of kind of in which direction those people lean, what their opinions actually are, I really vibe with them. Like I really find we're on the same wavelength. We could have completely different interests, but when it comes to just having a conversation and working together, it's just phenomenal. And as a result, when we're on the same wavelength, the work we achieve together is so much better than it would be if we completely didn't get each other. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that it has made an impact not only personally, but professionally as well. Nice. Well, that's great. And that I've found that to be true in my life as well. It's There's something about attracting authentic people. And to your point, they're often not anything like we are in their interests necessarily, or even the way they view the world. But the, that authentic component definitely stands out as something that you resonate with. And that's the beauty of it is it allows you to create a life that's true to that. And it multiplies when we do that, when we stay true to that. I'm curious about right now in your life, it sounds like things are going well, you're growing a business. I know that there are challenges that come in there. I'm curious what in your life, when you look at things, when you reflect, what's one of the bigger challenges that you faced in, in your journey so far? Is it, is it something recent? Is it something in your childhood? I would say that it's my ability to deal with the unexpected because life is just so full of surprises. And <laughs> I'll give you an example. So I got COVID in December mm -hmm. and then I got COVID in January and both were very difficult um, with the long-term side effects. And you don't plan for things like that, you know, and when something like that happens, the first reaction is always, why me? Why now? Why like this? I just started my own company. I was finally feeling better. I was doing better. And now it feels like the world is crashing down on me. I've, because of my past, I've really struggled to react to those sort of things, maybe not optimistically, but positively realistically, as opposed to being completely negative and pessimistic about it. Because I really do find myself going down that spiral of, oh no, everything sucks, everything's gonna suck forever. 
And I have to consciously make an effort to talk to myself and be like, no, things happen for no reason sometimes, sometimes to me, sometimes to others. And you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it and respond to it. And I think that makes a huge difference in how it ultimately plays out. And I try to be really aware of that. So for me, it's learning how to better respond to things that just happened to me. Mm, the unexpected. Because you're right, that does, it does happen a lot. And I can certainly relate, Marina, because I had a very similar thing happen, the same deal. I got sick in December. I got sick in January. It was oh. like not even a month apart. And you, yeah. you are, you get like, what is this? Am I being picked on? Why me again? You kind of go through this, you, the victim mindset cycle that can kind of take mm -hmm. over the woe is me mind. But it, it is also a reminder that we can only control so much, right? We can only focus on the things that we can control, the way we, the day-to-day -day decisions that we make, the health that we, like the healthy decisions that we make, the, the food that we're eating. A lot of things are out of our control. Getting sick is a part of life. So it's just, it's, that's realizing that life happens. We're, we're riding. It's a ride. We have so much that we can control and we got to let go of the things that we can't, right? That's a big part of it, isn't it? So Marina, you started your company in November, 2023, and things seem to be rolling. You've got clients coming in, your business is growing. What's driving you for all this? What are you driving towards? Freedom. One word, freedom. freedom. And by that, I mean the freedom to work when I want, where I want, and however much that I want, really. So one of the main things for me was having freedom to spend time with the people I love. And this is actually very relevant right now because I had a prospect who was interested in working with me, but it would have been something of a call. So kind of like a coaching call. And the one day that worked for this person was my husband's birthday. Huh. Like the, the evening when we would have been celebrating together. So I was like, well, I can't. And they were like, oh, well, I don't know when would work for me later. And I was like, well, then either we'll work together later or I hope you find someone else who will be able to do that day for you because I want that freedom. I did this because I wanted to be able to not work birthdays and spend time with the people I love. And that means not taking on projects that don't align with that. Mm, I love that. So personal autonomy is a big, big driving force behind it for you. Was that something that you've always had throughout your life? Or is that something that kind of came about as an adult? Always. It's always been important to me. So I've always loved traveling just for myself, for my friends, for my family to experience the world. And I've always wanted to have a career that aligns with that. And something I didn't think of too much until I was older was, again, reflecting on my dad's job, the fact that he couldn't travel a lot, especially working in corporate in the U.S. at that time in life. He really didn't have a lot of holiday. And I remember going on holidays with my mom and my sister and my dad would join later because he just couldn't take off all that time that we were using. And at a certain point, I was like, OK, I don't want that. I want to be able to have more holidays. And I think that's also why I wanted to live in Europe, because I think the work balance just naturally is better there. They just have a better setup for it. But I wanted to go a step further. So that's when I decided to launch my own venture so that I could yeah, have that freedom that I always knew I wanted. That's awesome. I love that. So it sounds like then you saw your parents, you saw your father, the lifestyle that he had in corporate America 
my father-in-law works at Costco. He's like second in command in one of the busiest stores in California. No, thanks. I, I kudos yeah. to, for them to do that. But like corporate life isn't for everyone. And it can be, a, I love people that can look at others and learn from what they're doing and use that knowledge in their life. And it sounds like that's what you did. You, you didn't want to live. Not that you're, you obviously, it sounds like you have a respect and love for your father, but you also knew that that wasn't your path. Yeah, exactly. So he's happy. My father is very happy in his job. And I've asked him before, I'm like, you're crazy smart because he's insanely smart. That's why, you know, he had, he has had the opportunities he's had. But I've asked him like, why have you not started your own business? Have you thought about it? And he has honestly said, he's like, I love doing what I do. I don't want the business side of it. He's like, because when you own a business, that's a whole different ballpark. You don't get to do the work that you love to do. There's other components to it. And that's just not for me. So I'm happy with where I'm at. And I get that. And having my own business now, I see exactly what he means. And I see why he didn't want to deal with everything that comes with owning a business. But I like it. And if you don't like it, then yeah, I don't think it's for you. So you just have to find what works for you. Because I don't think there's anything ultimately wrong with corporate or any kind of job because there's just different things that work for different people. And I also think there's different things that work at different points of life. So I always say, this is what I'm doing now. I don't know if I'll be doing this in five years. We might talk again in 10 years and I'll be like, I'm VP of marketing at Google. And you're like, what? What happened? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Life happened, right? So I never say no to those kinds of opportunities as potential for the future. That And that's very wise because it, again, points to how important self-awareness is and just self-reflection. Knowing it sounds like your father knew very clearly that he wanted to do one thing and do the work that he gets to do and then forget about everything else. That's great. Those are ideal people for corporate or or working at companies like that. So you can do your job and then not think about anything else because I've ran and, and run businesses. I know how it's a lot of other stuff, a lot of admin, taxes, legal stuff, hiring. I mean, it's a lot. So it's not for everything or everyone. Entrepreneurship is definitely not for everyone. And that's okay. We need a balance in the workforce, but it all comes down to self-reflection. And I think that's cool for me, Marina, is the the core component to our conversation so far has been a thread of self-reflection and and understanding the importance of that. You know, handling bullying when you're a child or young, how do you handle that? Stepping into yourself and having the courage to be who you are and being open and honest and then the fulfillment that can come from that. And so that's all centered around knowing who we are and living true to who we are. So thinking about where you are now, what is the vision for what you're building and what are you hoping to do with the work? And because I know you mentioned it, you don't, who knows really, it could also be five years, it could be working at Google, but I am curious kind of what your vision is and, and what you're, you're hoping to achieve with what you're doing. So at the moment, the way I see it is that I want to have kind of a steady stream of clients and ideally long-term clients. So I do do the one-off projects here and there, but my main, like my most important thing is having those built relationships where ideally we work together six months, a year, or even longer. And I just support along the way because I do consulting, I do content creation, I do strategy. So it's not just one thing. So I can really support my clients through every step of their content marketing journey. So that's the most important thing for me right now is building those relationships. And I think I'll grow the company to a certain point, but I don't want to hire employees. That's really important to me because that comes with the freedom. And the freedom is 
that I work for myself. I might hire a freelancer to help with design or something that I'm not great at, someone to complement my skills, but I don't want employees. I don't want to, I don't want to be a multi-billionaire or anything. To me, it's important that I'm financially comfortable, that I get to, as I said, work where I want, when I want, and how I want. And yeah, beyond that, I don't feel the need to expand my company immensely. Hmm. I love it. Again, that's honoring what matters to you and being true to who you are and staying on that path. I think something, especially Western American culture, the the unicorn culture, the billion dollar status, all these things, it can be an endless chase. And I, yeah. it's 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 a turnoff for me, honestly. Like the and so it sounds like you living in Europe, based on what you mentioned earlier, the holiday structure, the way that they have a work life balance is more ideal. My hope is that we get that way just in general as a on, around the globe, just more of a balanced because leisure and having time to do non-work things are really important. That what's that's what makes us interesting people, too. Right. We don't we're not robots. We're not simply here to just be productive and and do all this. But having the time to think and reflect and create like th that's really what drives the human spirit, I believe anyway. And so it's cool that you've, because understanding your values and what matters to you and building your life around those values are what it's about for me. And it sounds like you're doing many of those things. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I find that I actually attract the clients that I want to work with, with that approach. So I love how LinkedIn has evolved from like this professional business only platform to people saying, hey, I traveled this weekend. Hey, I was eating this. I was doing that. I've had so many people reach out to me and be like, oh, wow, you also love Italy. I love Italy. And we get to chatting and they're like, hey, by the way, I need help with my personal branding. Are you interested? And every time that happens, I'm so excited because I'm just like, how? Oh, OK, so people do care about the personal stuff. That's what makes us interesting, as you say. That's what makes us exciting. And that's where those human relationships are formed. People do reach out to me specifically saying, I saw your marketing post, but I find that more often than not, those aren't the posts that get people excited to talk to me or to work with me. Yeah, that because that's if you're competent in what you're offering the world, which is obviously important, we've got to be competent at the skill we're providing. But if we can do our job at a high level, the rest really is about, do you vibe with this person? Do you like their perspective? Do you like talking to them? Do you like being around them? Because if if you check off the technical components of the work, everything else really is based on the personality and who you are as an individual. It's also contributing to a more genuine culture and less of a facade mask wearing. I'm putting up a persona to be this thing. I kind of despise that. That was like so prevalent in the 90s and just culture, marketing, all the stuff. It was like, even in the 2000s, like I'm finally, we're getting away from over, especially in America, man, like we can be so intense and extreme with the things that we're into and like art and fashion and the, 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 the things that we're doing to our bodies. So I'm glad that it's shifting more and more. It seems to be anyway, more and more towards a natural be who you are, be open, be honest. I'm curious too, because I've never, and I've never spent time in Europe, Marina. This is something that we have plans to do as a family, but how does it compare? You grew up in California, which is like 
Orange County is very different. I, you know, I spent like 10 years in San Diego, so I'm very familiar with, with Orange County versus I imagine what the Netherlands was like. What's the difference between American and European culture from your perspective? The one stark difference I noticed as a student who studied in both countries at a certain point is the emphasis placed on grades and gradu- graduating within a certain time frame. So when I was going to school in the U.S., and I know this was also, you know, my family just growing up in the Bay Area because that's where I grew up, grades were so important. And getting the highest grades and being the best in the class and not missing a single point on a test, like, that was key. Your GPA was basically the deciding factor of your life. I remember when I didn't make the GPA I wanted certain uh, semesters, I was like, why even continue? What's the point? I'm already a failure. I really regularly had those thoughts and I meant it. It wasn't just me being dramatic. I was like, this is exactly how everyone is around me. Everything around grades matters so much. And then I came to the Netherlands and I got a grade on a test. It was on a 10 point scoring system and I got a seven out of 10. And I was like, oh no, that's like a 70%. That's like a C. That's like, I don't know, like a 2.8 GPA. And I remember the guy sitting next to me, he was like, oh man, you got a seven. Nice. And I was like, excuse me? And he was like, that's like really good. Seven is like really solid. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, you're American. I like forget you guys are weird. (laughs) And I was like, okay, tell me, tell me how it works. And he was like, well, five is passing. I think 5.5 is passing. So anything above that is great and nothing else matters. Mm. And I was like, what? And I have Dutch friends now. I worked in Dutch companies. My husband's Dutch. And we've talked about grades just because as an American, I'm always like, how does this work? And we've talked about it and they're like, you Americans are crazy. Like, who cares what grade you got as long as you learned and you passed? My husband's like, I passed my classes. Nothing else matters. I'm not going to tell you my grades. Nothing matters. (laughs) And he's working a great job now. And nobody cared about his GPA because it's just emphasis on completely different things. They care more about what you learn and how mentally stable you are instead of forcing you to lose your mind over the perfect GPA. So I think that's a huge difference that I noticed. And it's the same with the graduation dates. So I graduated. And as an American, this is like a huge flex. I graduated early every time. I graduated quickly. And Dutch people take their time. They, the prices are different as well, but they take their time because they're like, who cares? You're young. You're in your 20s. It's no rush if you take four years to graduate or five or six or seven. You'll get there eventually. And yeah, don't lose your mind over it. Don't lose sleep over it. Enjoy your youth while it's here because it's fleeting. It won't be here forever. So that's a really big difference that I noticed living in the U.S. and California and the Bay versus in the Netherlands. Mm. So it's just more more flowing with life. It sounds like more balance. Yeah. Well, it does. And the, the, the mental component is really important because you can get neurotic about that stuff. And that's even you sharing that story right there demonstrates how in that country you passed, you you hit the mark on what you needed to do. It's irrelevant that you didn't get a perfect grade. It's absurd that we have this expectation that you're going to graduate super early. You're going to get perfect grades. You're going to be all these things. You're going to be an athlete. You're going to be a scholar, like all this stuff. And it's excellent to aspire to be more than what we are today and to grow and to build. But we can take it way too far and be, and it does, it creates, you're mentally unstable if that's the case. So it's yeah. interesting that they focus around the mental stability component and what that means and how that can influence their experience. Because ultimately, as an employee or employer, 
that matters more because if you're competent, you can learn being stable and steady is what you want in your workforce, right? Ultimately. Exactly, exactly. And that's been something that I really observed is different in the workforce as well. My jobs in the U.S. where I don't, I don't know, there was just this pressure to, again, be the best and always hit every quota at the top and always present in this certain strict way. And then I came here and, well, besides my one strange corporate experience, um, every job they were just like, hey, how are you doing today? Like, is everything okay? Can we support you with anything? And even in the jobs that I didn't love, it always felt like my well-being was important, at least to a certain extent, varies from role to role, company to company. But it was a whole different situation that I was like, oh, they want me to not lose my mind here, actually. So mm, that's nice. Yeah. So then did you study your undergraduate in the States and then get your master's in the Netherlands? Yeah. Nice. So you got experience of both. You got university here mm -hmm. and then university in Europe. Exactly. Very cool. Are you and your pl husband planning to stay in the Netherlands for the foreseeable future? Probably. Um, we originally talked about going to the U.S., but with how things have been going in recent years, especially what I see in California, which is my home state, I wanted to live in San Diego. Funny you mentioned mm. that. I see what's happening with the natural disasters and with inflation and salaries not matching that. And, you know, the lack of paid leave, for instance, and the lack of sick leave. That's something else crazy worth mentioning, by the way. Mm. So sick leave in the U.S., you get a certain amount of days, right? And it's paid to a point and then it's not and you have to earn it and it's accrued over time. It's not the case here. And that always baffled me. I think my first three jobs in the Netherlands, every time I was interviewing, I was like, do I get sick leave? And they were like, yeah, of course. And I was like, how much? And they're like, what do you mean? How much do you plan to get sick? Like, you get sick, you get a day. I don't know. And I was like, is there no cap? And they're like, well, not really. Like, <laughs> unless you don't show up for two months. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So keeping things like that in mind that if you work a job, sure, you get, you get sick, it's fine. You don't really think about it versus in the U.S. where you're like, okay, I only have four days left to get sick. It just wasn't worth it for us. And I'm still American. I still have my passport. Maybe later down the line, we'll decide to move back. But at this point, I think it just makes more sense to stay here. Yeah. And your family's still in California? Yeah. 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 No, that's, and Marina, that's interesting because I see a lot of this. I mean, I, I, I talk about this in content. I've talked about this on the show before. I, I, this is why I'm not a big fan of the endless growth, hustle culture. There's all these kind of toxic things that Americans perpetuate, particularly in the corporate world and company cultures. I, it's very low quality the way that people are treated. There's a lack of resources. And when you look at the way our government has grown and the way corporations have grown together, it just continues to be less support for workforces, salaries, benefits, and always the endless chase to make the most money as possible, regardless of what that is. And look, I'm, I'm all about free markets and growth and doing wonderful things. I, I'm not, I, I think our government is far too big, but at the same time, you have to hold accountability and there has to be standards that we set in the workforce that's everywhere. And the way it's happening now is it's only benefiting shareholders and wealthy owners and everyone else is kind of getting screwed, including the people in the community, the people that need to benefit from those services. It's there. We have a long way to go in this country. There's a lot of work that we have to do 
But it's I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's useful for Americans to get perspective on how things are different. We we can easily get in this mindset of thinking, oh, this is just the way things are. But that's not the case. We can always make changes and get better. And I think it's a very poignant example of, of that. Exactly. And something that was interesting to me that I was thinking about when I moved here is taxes, because taxes here are, are a lot higher, I would say, than in the U.S. But knowing how much I was paying in taxes there and having no clue where my money went versus here, I know that it's going towards my health care and I get good health care here. It's going towards the playground outside my window being rebuilt. The roads are in just pristine condition. Driving in California after our roads, I was like, am I on a roller coaster? Like, what's happening? <laughs> so when you see where your money's going, I think it really puts things into perspective. Because before I moved here, I was like, oh, yeah, it's my, maybe some things are better there, but taxes. But then you live here and you're like, oh, that's where my taxes are going. I have no clue what they were doing in the U.S. So, Neither you know, you I. win some, you lose some. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's drawbacks depending on where you choose to live. But for me, the pros here outweigh the cons at the moment. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's also an important note around the local areas that you're living in, because the, the structure of the government, federal, state, local, city, all that, that does matter. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why we left California was because mm. it's insanely expensive. We wanted a family. You can't even build. They're not even building homes in California. Yeah. Like, so like, there's all this insanity happening. But you can move to areas where governments actually do take care of the roads. They do build playgrounds. Like that's one of the things that we love that's nice about our area. There's a lot of improvement. It's grown a lot, but there's tons mm -hmm. of parks, tons of playgrounds. The schooling systems here are great. So there's, it's, yeah. it's so important, I think, as individuals that we reflect on all of these things. We think about mm -hmm. the way that the world around us is structured and we align ourselves to, to areas that feel more incongruent with our values and what we want and the quality of life. It's also amazing to see that a government can actually function at a, a decent level. And even though you may be paying a higher tax rate, you don't feel like you're getting screwed, really. Exactly. Like, that's Exactly. And some years I'm like, I'm not going to the doctor too much. And another year, it's like every other month something's happening. And when I see that, I'm like, OK, I feel like it balances out. I feel like it's just worth it. Yeah. That's interesting, Marina. That's We've talked about a variety of things in this conversation, which I always appreciate. Yeah. I know. I knew we would. We talked about it a little bit in our primary call or initial call. I appreciate your openness and, and flexibility and, and sharing your perspective. I think you demonstrate a lot of just the power of, of acceptance, self-acceptance, reflection, being thoughtful about who you are. It's never easy challenging your family and, and going against kind of what they want and making a life for yourself. So kudos to you for that. And I wish you well on your journey of building your company. But before we wrap our conversation, I'd love for you to share a parting message with the audience, if you will, whatever that may be. And then how can people get in touch with you and, and learn more about what you're doing? Of course. So parting message, I would say, stay true to yourself, no matter what everyone around you is doing, no matter what the trends are at the moment, no matter what's cool and what people are telling you is cool. Because ultimately, the one time we should always be selfish is in deciding how to live your life. And that should always be on your own term. Mm. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can DM me on LinkedIn. My name is Marina Krivonosova. I make a point of responding to all my DMs. And you can also just visit my website, retoldmarketing.com, and contact me there through the contact page. Awesome, Marina. That's, that's fantastic. Make sure to link to 
Marina's LinkedIn and her website in the show notes if you want to reach out to her. Love that parting message. The best time to be selfish is when you're, you're figuring out what you want to do with your life and live your life. So that's phenomenal. Marina, so this was a lot of fun. I definitely appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed it as well. We'll look to potentially have you back on in the future as you continue on your journey as an entrepreneur and, and marketer in the world. So I wish you and your husband the best. And for the audience, we do this every Thursday, 11 a.m. We drop these co- uh, episodes. I do solo pods as well. So hopefully you're enjoying the content. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation with myself and Marina. So until next time, y'all. Thank you for listening to Order Within. If you found the episode helpful, please consider sharing, rating, and subscribing. New episodes will be released every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, y'all.